nobody really wants to feel like the important part of the book is the little boy that we certainly know is going to turn out to be a serial killer (laughs) with all of the bird murdering. But I actually, at the beginning of the book, was like, I've got to look up if he turned into Jack the Ripper. Like, what's the time period on any of this? I don't know. But (laughs) he certainly grew up to be a murderer. I'm so glad she got out of that house. She would have woken up to her end. I was not okay with that part. And they just move on like, well, that's over. On to another terrible family. But the other was at least a normal way to be a terrible family. Or not a terrible family. But I'm like, oh, we're just all fine with this serial killer kid. Like, the uncle's fine with it. Dad's fine with it. The mom's fine with it. Like, yeah, he's just over there murdering things. Isn't it cute? Boys will be boys. I'm like... We could write a lot of things about this little few pages. You know I was having a situation. Welcome to Book Fair, a feast for every season of reading. We are a growing community of curious readers who share the excitement of books. We want to read together and feast together through the seasons of the year and the seasons of our lives. And we hope you join us. Agnes Gray. What? <laughs> what this was are kind your of a, reactions? This was quite the controversial pick. It was very interesting. I think, I think it got picked because people haven't read it. Like I think a lot of people when they were voting um, had never read it before and thought it would be cool to read something by lesser known Bronte sister and something that wasn't as well known. So. And I was it like, oh, I had never heard of it at all. <laughs> I knew there were several Bronte sisters, obviously, and I knew two of them more than the one, but I had never heard of this book. I thought, oh, a short Bronte. Let's do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> short. <laughs> Would y'all like to know why she's lesser known? Tell us. There was a bit of sibling rivalry. So... She died, let me pull this back up, at 29, which is so young, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from pulmonary tuberculosis. Okay. And so she had written The Tenet of Wildfell Hall. Have y'all heard of that? Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was pretty good. There was going to be a republication that was prevented by Charlotte. And it just says, likely out of selfish and jealous reasons. For this reason, Anne is the lesser known Bronte sister. Interesting. Maybe it's not true, but I found that written and thought, well, maybe there's a reason why I didn't know about this Bronte sister, really. Uh, I'm like, oh, Jane Jane Eyre would never do that. That could be Charlotte's motivation. That's what I thought. (laughs) It's like when you hear something terrible about a really nice person. You're like, I thought you were going to be a great sister. How could you do that? She's just dead. (laughs) But they did write poetry together. Poems by Courier. Courier. And they wrote it under Ellis. Oh, Courier, Ellis, and Acton Bell were the three sisters. Did y'all know about that? I heard of it I don't before, but I've never pen read names it. names at all, really. I did read that Anne's pen name was Acton Bell, but I hadn't heard of this book of poetry. 
I don't think I understand pen names, and that's that's probably a subject for another time. I guess it's all found out after after you're dead and gone, or after you're not ashamed of your work. But I'm like, we all know who they all are, but I guess we only know who they are about dead people. We don't know about the the authors today. I'm just always like, but why? Didn't they have male pen names though? Wasn't that part of the point? Was that female authors? That was my question for this. That was my yeah, question that, for this, if that was why. But, I mean, Samuel Clemens, like, mm-hmm. it, that wasn't his reason. Right. J.K. Rowling has written a book under another name, a pen name. And she's alive, and we know right about now. this. See, I right don't now. understand. Someone needs to explain it to me. I think her reasoning was she wanted the not Harry Potter expectations or something. Yes. Okay, I can get that. that. I'm sure there is a reason. I think the reason can all be summed up usually under marketing. <laughs> sure. Probably so. Even in the 1800s, there's there yes. was marketing. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> yep. So <clears throat> I found a little summary sentence, smart things written by other people kind of sentence <laughs> <laughs> about this book that I liked. And I don't know Paul Richard Kuhn, but he writes things about books. Maybe he's smart, maybe he's not, but I liked what he wrote here. It said, Anne Bronte's portrayal of resilience, integrity, and survival of one woman in the face of upper-class snobbery and social values was pioneering in the patriarchal society of the Victorian England in the first half of the 1800s. So it's always interesting for me to read an old book and then think about it being pioneering because it doesn't sound pioneering when I first read it. So it's always very interesting for me to go back and see how was this book received. And so I almost like rethink the whole book then after I hear that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super interesting from that perspective because like a lot of what readers were saying, which I agree with, when you read this book, it kind of feels like she's dealing with the same things through the whole book. Like, okay, over and over. get it. Nasty children whose parents just expect her to work miracles without discipline. Like, it right. feels what like there's the not a ton going a on. If this was a groundbreaking story, it's like if you've never heard anything before, it's almost kind of like I see people reading it kind of like reality TV. Like, you know, when we first had reality TV and it was like, ooh, we're just going to watch these people like in real life in the wild reacting. What's going on? And if this was the first kind of expose of what it was really like to be a governess, can't you just see people reading this? Yes. Like, this is what it's really like from their perspective. And oh, these children are awful. Is it going to get better? Oh, no, they're still awful. And I wonder what family that was. Do you think so-and-so is like that? You know? Yeah. Ooh, I hadn't thought about this when I was reading it. I read that this was fairly autobiographical. So like I said, reading it like it's a a reality TV show. But that the specifically the Bloomfield family is looking at her life. She was a governess to two families. And the Bloomfields can be seen to be modeled on the Inghams who's a family that (gasps) she was with. And it says Charlotte described the Ingham children as desperate little dunces. (laughs) And the other family... (laughs) I cannot wait to call somebody that. (laughs) Get ready, it's coming. (laughs) Well, have you seen their kids? You know what they are. Desperate little dunces, bless (laughs) their heart. That's what I was going to say. 
then um, the Robinsons was the second family um, and had three girls and one of them eloped with a theater owner's son. Two no. of them continued to, I'm sure. I know. Two of them continued to write to Anne for advice long after she had ceased being their governess. So I I don't know how known it was that this was autobiographical, especially if she was writing under Acton Bell, which I guess that's a guy's name, right? So yeah. I'm not sure at the time that would have assumed. But it's once I found that about the book, because about halfway I was like, okay. Like, what is the point? Like, what is Anne saying in this book? And so once I saw it was kind of autobiographical, I was like, okay, well, I can read it with that in mind. And then it it helped me the rest of the book. But I think Uh knowing that, too, and how much time is spent on the families that, I don't know, I think she's saying a bit about parenting at this time. I do, too. And I thought, you know, this is not too far from parenting today either you know and how children are seen like oh well that's just how they are i just can't do anything with them but we expect them to suddenly be successful yeah Yeah. so going back to what you're saying elizabeth about you know the serial killer boy um i had read (laughs) that you know one of the themes of the book was the mistreatment of animals like the the dog lighter that they kick and then just don't care about it and get rid of yes. it to some rat catcher. Yeah. Yeah. So I, know. Think, I think that was another one of her goals um, was to shine a light on the way the upper classes often treated animals. That, you know, they had people who cared for their horses. And if they had any land, they had people that cared for their sheep and their pigs and that sort of thing. So there was a disconnect. And Yeah, and that in some of these families, apparently, they did not have respect for the lives of these animals. And I think she was trying to show that in a pretty, like, graphic, probably exaggerated way. I doubt the family she stayed with was this bad. I mean, maybe they were. But a lot of times in literature, you know, you exaggerate something to to, Mm -hmm. to make a point. And I think that's what she's trying to show. Maybe summing this up, she is talking about the mistreatment of animals and children. Maybe. I think so. I think so. It's just that disconnect in relationship altogether. Like the absence of kindness can look a lot of different ways. Mm. Yeah. Um, when I read Jane Eyre, I remember being really surprised and thinking, oh, this position of governess is really interesting because in our world today, academia and someone who is just known to be smart whether because they have initials behind their name or because they've just proven themselves to be a smart and wise person or a well-read person that's really lifted up and it often gains them a place in society that's higher than what they would have had but all the education of a governess only provided her just a step above a servant and so it was interesting because when it came time to marry you're like too educated for here, but not well-bred enough for there. And I just think governess as a social situation had a really interesting, tough spot. It, yeah, it was such a specific position. Because you would have been a member of the gentry, at least. A gentleman's daughter, a landowner's daughter, of reduced circumstances. And so, like, you had to get a job. You're in a position, and that was the job that you could get. So, you were... Or clergy's uh, family. Yeah. 
you were of reduced circumstances. So you were in that way, you're not on the same level quite as the family. Um, yeah, but you're not a servant. And so I've read before that that could have been a very lonely. Yeah, you don't have a lot of place peers. to be in. Yeah. I could not believe how much, especially in that second family, I guess the first one too, how much it was a 24 hour a day at the beck and call of the children. Position. Yeah, right. I didn't remember that from other things that I had read that school time I thought you went to the nanny before school but she was getting them dressed that's not what I thought a governess did but I think that also was not normal because she was kind of surprised about like I don't know how to do hair and get all these clothes and buttons on I'm sure that that varied somewhat from family to family or even from time to time like 1811 versus 1847 you know when this was written yeah but that I mean that was a crazy demanding job I mean you were you could say they're not a servant but they really were a servant they really were were. she was treated and not just a servant in some ways it was the worst position because she was a servant to the children so she was (laughs) at who are little jerks (laughs) yeah I mean she was just at their beck and call all the time whatever they wanted I mean, I just can't, I just can't even imagine. And the parents not backing her up. She didn't have the authority, but they expected results as if she had authority. And oh, that, I like teachers out there. I was, I was gonna a teacher, say all our teachers are out there like, yeah. I have been in a position like that and it drove me nuts. Yeah, I think it was teachers not today experience that. And it's rough when the like, administration my is would not never behind do you. that. So you must be speaking to them wrong. I think it's probably heard in parent teacher conferences all over right now. <laughs> I gotta think that there were some good families, you know, that these are examples of parents that have a wrong view of the role of the parent and the role of the child in life. But if you have a good family, it could be a much different experience. Yeah, if you have a family where the parents are really trying to raise their children and have good relationship with them and have healthy rules and healthy boundaries, and they really are bringing the governess in to just teach them, and they're willing to back up to find a quality person and back them up, I'm sure there could be good situations. I mean, in J- and I had spent a while since I read Jane Eyre, and there were some questions in the Facebook group about, we're going to compare and contrast Jane Eyre, right? <laughs> So it's been a while since yes. I've read Jane Eyre, but my memory of Jane Eyre was that as a governess job, that was a pretty good governess job. That she hers, yes. That the little girl. Yeah, I'm thinking reading this one was much more like, oh, you got a bad family, or oh, this is a terrible gig. Like I thought this sounded worse than Jane Eyre's situation. Yeah, it's it felt. I- from what I remember in that book, it seemed like she had, they had school hours and maybe an exercise hour, but then in the evenings, her time was her own, and the girl did go. The housekeeper took care of her in the evenings. So it wasn't so much like she was a slave to that child 24 yeah. hours a day. And I don't remember them asking Jane to do other menial I tasks. I don't either. Like how let the Murray's kept group. her busy for a time yeah. at the whim of Rosalie. <laughs> Yes. Um, how they y'all were will just... have to let us know, though, or if someone's read it more recently, because that's been 20 years for me, too, since I've read that book. But I do not remember that hit me really like this is not what I thought it was going to be in that respect. Well, and she 
because she was new, she didn't have a lot of credentials. And I do wonder if that's why she got such rotten families. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they did kind of talk about that. Like, she wasn't going to get paid as much as some were. And it was like, well, you could just try it out. I mean, her wanting to enter this role was, I really like kids. Well, I like kids, too. But I don't like everybody's kids. I thought it was adorable. I actually pulled this quote. Um when she's trying to get them to let her go out and be a governess, she's thinking about it. And she sa- she's thinking, to go out into the world, to enter upon a new life, to act for myself, to exercise my unused faculties, to try my unknown powers, to earn my own maintenance, and something to comfort and help my father, mother, and sister. And then a little bit later, she says, she was so sweet. (laughs) She says, how charming to be entrusted with the care and education of children. Whatever others said, I felt I was fully competent to the task. The clear remembrance of my own thoughts in early childhood would be a surer guide than the instructions of the most mature advisor. (laughs) Well, because she sounds like she had such a kind, sweet raising, too. Also, I could not figure out at the beginning how old she was, because I I honestly thought in the first couple of pages that she was, like, 10 years old, because they were like, oh, you can't do any jobs. Like, they wouldn't even let her help with the household chores. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, what? She's grown. Like... (laughs) She was such a baby of the family and so protected. They just weren't letting her do anything. And it's like, well, y'all ought to let her milk the cow before you go get a job. She could have been getting trained along the way. I literally, I mean, maybe I just read it totally wrong. But I was like, I had her put as a preteen. Like, you want to help. That's so sweet. Good job. We'll find something you can do, but probably not an actual job. And I was like, oh, no, she, she's not. She's like. 21 or something. 21. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. What have y'all done to her? What did you think she was going to do all this time? Well, so the mom was very like, I just want things done my way. I'm just going to do everything myself. And Trisha, it was great for you to pull that quote back in. I totally forgot about that from the beginning of the book. And so now having read it and reflecting back on kind of how naive that was Very an nice. idealistic it is so, mm-hmm. it's so sad <laughs> it's so sad and she goes on to say um i had but to turn from my little pupils to myself at their age and i should know at once how to win their confidence and affections how to yes. waken the contrition of the erring how to embolden <clears throat> the timid and console the afflicted how to make I virtue practicable, <laughs> instruction desirable, and religion lovely and comprehensible. Delightful task. I've been that. <laughs> I have thought, like, I am just going to be so sweet to this child, and they're going to only obey me out of love. And they're going to say, tell me what I should do. And I'll just tell them. I'll just tell them what they should do, and everything will be very easy. And... I think we can all just laugh and say, yeah, I've been there, friend. It was not that way, was it? You got a little murderer (laughs) on your hands. I'm still not done with that boy. (laughs) Well, she was passionate about education. Yeah. As seen by the fact that she and her mom opened up the school at the end Mm -hmm. and stayed with it. Or at least, you know, her mom did. And I read another way that this is autobiographical is that 
I read that the Bronte sisters tried to start a school. It didn't take off, but they also did that in real life. Oh. So I have a question. Maybe you know or maybe you don't. What would be considered a higher, more lofty position? Owning a school and running it out of your house or going away and being a governess? I mean, one, you're a little more the boss, but is that, was that a step down? Because that's not what they chose first. I think running a school would be a little bit of a step up because you're running it in your own space and you're independent as opposed to going out to be under someone else's. I mean, you're essentially going to be a servant. And the reason they didn't do that from the beginning is because dad was still alive. I was thinking, why didn't they just do that to begin with? But now I'm remembering the order. Um, Yeah. That would not have been available to them then. Yeah. You know, I wish I had, I I have a book. It, it's something like what Jane Austen knew and Charles Dickens ate or something yes, like that. Yes, I love that book. <laughs> it's a great book. And that would be a good reference for this kind of thing. If I had thought to go get that off my shelf. <laughs> so I have a question for you guys. One thing, I think one of the main questions I saw in the Facebook group or maybe like, complaints things people didn't like about the book was that they felt like Agnes didn't experience character development like she was kind of a static character that she was just good sweet patient Agnes the whole time and everyone else kind of revolved around her um and that like in these families it was kind of like she was the only good person and then and everyone that else is was kind of how some... we write our diary though <laughs> All these crazy people, and I'm the only one with sense. I mean, I didn't Did notice growth in her, I would agree. But they don't also, they don't really start out with, a, other than her being so naive, which she wasn't at the end because she'd experienced. So, I mean, I don't know if you would call that growth or just experience and wisdom. What do you think, Amanda? It, going back to the comparison between Jane Eyre I do see some similarities in this way because they kind of begin their journey untested, but with such a strong moral center. And it's not that they change a whole lot, but they are tested. And there is growth in the testing, even though it's not like they don't come out really different in the end, but they withstood the testing. And I think that that is beautiful and that that counts for a lot. And that's something that I love about Jane Eyre is to have someone to emulate. I can see that. Just the fact that you endured. Yeah. Says plenty. Well, and she didn't endure it with a bad attitude. She endured it with a really good, why would I hope for anything more? I have been given so much kind of a thought process. Instead of being like, these people are awful. These are not heroines that a modern writer would write. Yes. Right? Because these are not the ideal modern woman. Well, and it's not, I think even what you're saying, Amanda, is, is very well said that it's more of a story of she endured and kept her character. She did not turn bitter. She did not turn angry. She went through all of these trials 
and she did learn. I, I do see a little bit of growth. I see that there's not a huge amount of character development, but I do think we see some growth, like from that quote I said at the beginning to what she would say about teaching students at the end. I think there is some growth. I think the whole point of this short novel is to show her life over the course of a very specific season. Like it's not trying to show mm -hmm. her growth as a woman over her whole life. It's showing her first governess job, her second governess job, and this school, which was how long? Maybe five years or something? Like it wasn't a huge amount of time. Um, and I do think that's the point, that she got through all of these trials and allowed it to even strengthen her character. Not only did she not go backwards, she was stronger at the end than she was at the beginning. And I think at that time, for someone writing about women in a culture where there were very few options, you know, I'm thinking that the American, it's kind of like what you said, Amanda, about it not being a modern story. So if this were an American story, it would be about how she broke out of that and went and found her way and followed her dream and opened her own school. And you and know was what I mean? And able like, to tell people And off. the story would be in, the, in her own school, <laughs> not in her, yeah, finding or love at least it would it purpose. would go there. But I think for these people, the point of her story was to show readers as a woman with very few options in this society these are the kind of situations we have to endure mm -hmm. and here's an example of someone who endured it with grace and gentleness and trying to do the best she could to be a good person to be she was trying to be the best person she could be along the way and mm -hmm. regardless of the way she was mistreated regardless of the way these people were mistreating other servants or their animals, all the oppression that she saw around her, she was still going to stay strong and good and true. And that was the victory. And then at the end, unlike Anne, the way it is not autobiographical is that she gets the happy ending. So yeah. that's the point of the story is that she endured what she needed to endure with her integrity and her beauty intact. And then at the end, she gets the good ending. Now, I think for us as readers, we're kind of like, we can be a little bit bored with, I don't want to read 80% of a book just about someone enduring the same thing over and over again. She's just right. enduring. She's this just enduring. Kind of She's just enduring. Can be boring for me, but I enjoyed the discussions after more than a book that I really enjoyed the whole ride because you have to travel this long way to be able to see what's profound or interesting about the story. It's just the way it's written. Yeah. And, and so I, I might not love reading it, but I love the discussion after my ending aha moments, what questions this book would ask me over some current bestseller fluff. Not that bestsellers have to be fluff, but you know, just like a, like it would not be a fun light vacation read for me. And I think not this book is... Not because it's hard, is, just because like, it's not that enjoyable for me. Yeah. And I think this book is asking the question... How are we dealing with the trials in our life? How are we dealing with the injustice, with the things that are not going our way, with the hard work? How are we dealing with that? And I do think she's trying to give us someone that we can look up to in the way that that was dealt with. Yeah. I do, I do think she's set up as a role model. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She is very different and clearly set apart from the families in her book. And even the the um, Mr. Weston versus 
Mr. Hatfield. Uh huh. They're very different. It's very clear. <laughs> very clear difference. We have this beauty versus integrity um, hmm. tension with the two men and Agnes yeah. and Rosalie. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of had a bit of a like Good Samaritan vibe from the three curate I mean one was a curate one was a rector one was I always forget all those English names but they were all working together in the parish and you know one was the handsome basically just handsome and worthless like he was just he just didn't really care about people he was just trying to get like a good wife so he could advance his career and then the second guy who was the main religious figure he took his job seriously but he was like the Pharisee. I mean, he just, he didn't love people. He just wanted to tell them what no. to do. No. The poor man that was sick and he was like, it's hot in here. Can you open the door? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dying here. Yeah. And you're sending in the cold air on him. Yeah. And just very much took his position as a higher ranking member of society very seriously and did not Therefore, treat the his common value. people. Yeah, they did, he did was not treat the common people with integrity. And then you had Mr. Weston, who was actually a servant, actually a humble, loving servant who wanted to help people. And I just loved the old woman's story. When That's what I was about to say. When she meeting t- up at her house was so cute. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And the way she tells that, and that's why I think I said it was like Good Samaritan vibes, because it was like... This one person came in and said this to me. And then this other person came and he said this. And I was just, I mean, she was, she was distraught. I mean, these people were doing the opposite of what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to be ministering to her soul. And they were making her believe that she was a black hearted sinner with no hope. And if she couldn't just pick up what she needed in the Sunday service, she was no good. Like it was heartbreaking. Well, first of all, you can't walk. But right. <laughs> That's right. I just was like, y'all got to imagine me. I'm like cleaning my sliding glass windows and I'm just stopping like, what? <laughs> How is she supposed to get there? And like, you're asking me these questions, but just come hear my sermon. I don't want to talk about this. Right. Like you're Any putting a lot of stock in what you're putting out into the congregation <laughs> also. Like. Well, if you come hear me for an hour, you will be skipping home with That's your right. legs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> what? That's great. You know, if, if we are positing that she is maybe saying something about those with authority and how they treat others under them, whether it's children, yeah. parents and children, masters and their animals, the religious leaders and their flock... Yes. Would also fit in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I did not catch the S- Samaritan story vibes. I that didn't name sense. it a Samaritan, but I did catch the, like, how awful these leaders were. I mean, this poor woman, was her quest for faith was just uh. stomped on. And again, she's another example of endurance. Yes. You know, in mm-hmm. through humility, because she did not stop asking, even yeah. though yeah, the other she... guys were trying to squelch her in that. She just endured. She just kept on. You know, and that's admirable. I well, think. 
she had read enough to know she wanted the good things that that a relationship in life with Jesus provided, and she just was not clear on what, like, how to get that, and that was just something we could all read and just think through a little bit in our yeah. And talking and we, again, when we start to tell someone what they need to do of how to live their life, of just considering where they are first might be really important. Yeah. Sorry, I was jumping in there, Elizabeth. Mm-mm, no, go ahead. Yeah. And keeping and going back to this idea of this unmodern heroine and her virtues that are not, you know, really respected a humility, meekness, gentleness. These are not valued. <laughs> in women in society. Um, I was thinking Jane Austen has a couple heroines like that, and they tend to be her least favorite for modern readers. And I'm thinking specifically of Anne Elliot and especially Fanny Price from Mansfield Park. Very, very introverted women, women who are not putting their thoughts and ideas on other people, who give other people space to be themselves. Yes, for sure. I I had that thought too. And I agree with you about Anne Elliot and Fanny Price, that they are in some ways similar. And you know, in some ways that can be like more of a personality thing. I mean, I've said before that Mm -hmm. I relate to Fanny Price because I was very shy as a teen and a young adult. And so I really relate. I when I read Fanny Price, I think if I had had to move in with relatives who treated me like a second class citizen and ordered me around, I would probably be experiencing my life this way. Um, But I think for other people who cannot relate to that personality at all, who maybe have more outgoing, fun-loving personalities, they would have dealt with this situation differently. And that's okay. You can can be a good person and deal with it in a different way. Um, Sure. And so sometimes the heroines we resonate with, it can be time period, but I think it's also a function of personality. That if you just look at her and you're like, I could never have done that. Or I never would have reacted that way. Or I would have packed my bag and gone home because I'm an eight on the Enneagram. And I would have said, if you're going to force me to sit around and watch this boy tearing birds apart, I'm not going to do it. And I don't think that's bad. Like, I don't I think there's a place for that in the world for sure. So, you know, I think some of our intrinsic reactions and values can affect whether we can resonate with a character or not. So I did not think this book was necessarily funny until the end. And then I just could not stop laughing about her on the beach and him just walking up and the dog running up first. And like, did y'all feel like that? Was there humor throughout the book and just more overt at the end? I mean, maybe little things, but. I think some of the extremity of the situations with the kids was meant to be funny. Like, I think some of the exaggeration, like when she first meets the children and he's showing her his rocking horse and he's like, you all be quiet. I'm showing you my rocking horse. Look how amazing I am. I'm such a great rocking horse rider. Like, I think some of that is meant to kind of make you giggle. Like, yes, he's awful, but... I did laugh a little, but I think my reaction was more like, oh my goodness, they're going to be a lot. Or you jumped right in. That's, yep, I guess you can't get a day to yourself first to sleep off the carriage ride. I mean, right. I did see that. <laughs> but I was just 
laughing my head. It was like suddenly a romantic comedy, perfect ending <laughs> with the dog. Yes. Up, and then they talk and then no one's, I mean, she's so patient to wait to see what the heck are you doing here? And why yeah. do you have my dog? And he's just like, <laughs> I'd like to come visit your mother. And then she just like lets him and her mom talk the whole time, doesn't say anything at all. I mean, she's so sure of herself the whole time and not sure of herself actually, but her moral compass is so strong throughout the book that it leaves her knowing what to do in most situations. But she did not know socially what to do with him sitting in her house, in her mom's house. She was like, was that okay that I invited him over? You know, the mom's like, yeah, that's fine. You can have people over. Why didn't you talk to him? Yeah. Yeah. But it's I mean, so I, My guess is the mom, like, gets what's going on. Like, okay, yeah. well, he's coming over. Obviously, there's a reason. She's like, I don't know why he's coming over. I guess he wanted to meet you. Why would he want to meet? Him? Why would he want to meet your mom? I mean, he wants to meet your mom, not your mom. <laughs> right? And she was just like, I don't know. He is that okay? He wants to come over to meet you because he'd heard you were nice. I was just like hee hawing over like you have been so sound and so sure and so firm, and you were like you you were every woman in love. You do not know what is going on right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, when I was reading it, I did not get a lot of humor, but I think this might be one of those books that on a second reading, I would see things more that way. But what you're saying that this is like the most rom-com kind of ending on the beach and all that, that I, I see that now. <laughs> oh, she's facing east and he approaches from behind and there's just like music playing and crashing waves and like confusion and desperation. And it was like the whole book hadn't really been like that, but there was so much quiet longing. Honestly, that almost took me a minute to be like, okay, am I sure she likes him? Like, I feel like he's supposed to be the one, but she's just so quiet about it the whole time. But, you know, she's just tumultuous then. Like, it's just, <sighs> I, I, it was hilarious to me. By From the beach on, I was like, oh, okay, now I'm, like, ready to read and see how this turns out. Like, obviously, I know how it's going to turn out, but it was your dear me- mother can come live with us. <laughs> like, to me, okay. It was a precursor vibes from the ending of You've Got Mail. <laughs> You know, with the dog yeah. and the coming across yes! the bridge and I had that all of that. Same thing. Yeah. I wanted it to be you. Yes, <laughs> yes. I totally was like, this is you got mail in the park. Yes. But the thing that I, is so cool, the thing that's so cool to me about this is you see a glimpse of that and then you say, a young, secluded pastor's daughter in the country of England in the middle 1800s, wrote that for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like she yeah. was a trailblazer for literature. And we have taken tropes like that of the happy ending and going through all the mess. And then at the end, this beautiful scene, you know, the thing with the dog, like you said, it just, oh, but how many rom-coms and have he's a like, dog involved, you know? Right. And he's like, <laughs> you can't keep my dog. I mean, he's just playing <laughs> with her at that moment. He's totally using as a toying chick with magnet. her. And she was like, I would never expect to keep your dog. <laughs> I was rolling by then. Like, this has not been a funny book, but it is now. Oh, that's true. 
Which is and like, it, what, the last hour-ish. I mean, yeah. depending on if you read or not. And talking about the writing, I felt like it was a very easy and flowing style. I thought so. I felt like in that way it was easy to read. And I did read about some reviews where some have thought that there's, she shows and doesn't tell. No, it's the other way. She tells, she tells and doesn't show somewhat. And I think there is some of that. It is a pretty short book. Um, but overall, it, it seems well written to me, I thought. And I do, I did like this passage, but our wishes are like tinder. The flint and steel of circumstances are continually striking out sparks, which vanish immediately, unless they chance to fall upon the tinder of our wishes. Then they instantly ignite, and the flame of hope is kindled in a moment. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. And... One more little comparison to Jane Eyre. I don't know what you think about this. I mean, I've read Jane Eyre a couple times in the last three years, but I kind of felt like this book is not sermonizing, but it's maybe a little more on the nose than Jane Eyre is. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I did love this. So our friend Tammy on the Facebook page three days ago wrote... This was her insight on Agnes Gray. She says, Agnes Gray, colon, Miss Bronte created in this novel a commentary on character, contrasting good character with bad throughout the situation she encountered. Then she would express her, quote, observations of a spiritual truth as one situation concluded and another began. Subtle hmm. at first, but then bringing it together with this powerful crescendo. Should I shrink from the work God has set before me because it is not fitted to my taste? Did not he know best what I should do and where I ought to labor? And should I long to quit his service before I had finished my task and expect to enter into his rest without having labored to earn it? No, by his help, I will arise and address myself diligently to my appointed duty. Mm. If happiness in this world is not for me, I will endeavor to promote the welfare of those around me and my reward shall be hereafter. And then Tammy says, this passage is in the final part of the book, and it defines the entirety of her story and characters. My observation, as a young woman limited by the culture she was in, she used her novel as a voice for cultural awareness and change, bringing to light inadequacies of character and contrasting it with the divine model God has set forth. While the novel felt slow and often irrelevant in the beginning, When I finished her work, I felt she had accomplished something magnificent in its tribute to a life selflessly devoted to God. Why, yes, I loved it. (laughs) Well, we should have just read that quote and just (laughs) been done with the whole episode. That was really well. She really did. Um, She really did. And it brings in all of the, I mean, she summed up the relationships between the parents and kids and the parishioners and the old lady and the animal relationships. I mean, she's bringing all that in under that umbrella of character. Yep. We talk about the writing and I agree. There are some things that drag um, and some things that she does tell, not show. But I think the chapter where she goes to visit Rosalie is brilliant. I do. Because it's highlighting the way the cycle continues. So you've seen the home where these girls were raised and what their parents, how they treated them, what was expected of them, the lack of bond between parent and child, Mm -hmm. the value that was placed on the highest value being placed on continuing your role in society. You marry the daughter off 
to a jerk who happens to have money and then the cycle starts all over again. She's not even interested in her own child because... Well, or even how to manage that very big estate. That was interesting to me, too. You would have thought yep. her mother, with her superficial or standing-minded desires, would have told her, and when you marry a man of standing, here will be your role. Even if it wasn't marriage, it would have been like how to organize these big dinners. She had no idea how to do that. She just told her mother-in-law, fine. She thought it was going to be help, but she ended up running it, which you can understand. Her mother-in-law is like, you don't know how to do any of this, which her mother-in-law didn't take required, her in lovingly either. Right. But that would have required her mom, right, that would have required her mom to have a relationship and actually train her and bring her in to do something productive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which she had no interest that in doing. was... So, I mean, it might have been the best, honestly, to me, because it put so much worth in all that she had gone through with Rosalie of, like, you really mattered to somebody after all. You thought yeah. you were this big joke, and, I mean, the way they would have her, like, go read to poor people, because that was what they were supposed to do, I just was like, how is this a governess's <laughs> job? And what, finish some, like, cartography or art project or something, I'm like, you're doing their homework? and so they mistreated her so much but that chapter just shows like you might be the only person that mattered and was was a moral compass to her so even though and that's the (laughs) other thing i loved about it is that even though she was very naive when she started out and a lot of her goals did not come to fruition because she was not placed in households where she could even try to work that kind of influence but in the end her patient love and example did have an impact Mm -hmm. and I like to think that she stayed friends with Rosalie and that she you know went to visit her and still kept a connection of of a string of goodness happening to Rosalie's life because Rosalie could see that she was a real person who actually Mm -hmm. loved her despite how they treated her yeah and I love I love the very end like the last two or three paragraphs where she sums up the rest of their life and you see the result of these two people with a strong moral fiber and are just really wanting to do good in their little part of the world and just the result of that kind of life because there's such a push to like be a world changer and affect things on such a large stage yeah, but instead really, of working hard in about, your community. Mm-hmm, it's about the work you do in your own head, in your own home, and your community. That's really what it's about. And she says, I became the wife of Ed- Edward Weston and never have found cause to repent it, and I'm certain I never shall. We have had trials, and we know that we must have them again, but we bear them well together and endeavor to fortify ourselves and each other against the final separation, that greatest of all afflictions to the survivor. Yeah. And I, I want to just read the whole last few paragraphs, but <laughs> after that, but it's, it, it's really lovely how she sums up their lives. It's just so simple, but deep. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So as an overall kind of view of this book, for those of you that didn't like it, it's okay. Like, this is not the kind of classic. This is a second-tier classic. Um, It is not a masterpiece. It is lesser known for a reason. It's written by a good author, and there's some good in it, for sure. But I would not say, like, well, if you didn't like this book, classics are not for you. Because it's not... 
It is not the best. I am a classic lover. I enjoyed it the first time I read it. I enjoyed reading it a second time, especially with you to reading it with all of you and having this conversation. Um, but I would give it like three and a half stars. Um, there's out value in it. Yes, out of five. There's value in it like we've been talking about. I enjoy the language. I think Anne is a good writer, but it is not the best classic ever written. There are, it's a little repetitive. It doesn't have a ton of character development. So it sits in a place to me of yes, valuable. Yes, worth reading. Yes, interesting, especially from a literary perspective. But no, not the best read ever and not her best book either. So if you liked her writing and, but you were like, uh, but I wouldn't want to read another book like this. Her other book is The Tenant of Winfell Hall. And it is considered to be her masterpiece. It's much longer and it's much deeper. It's, it goes through a much longer journey. It's about a woman in a very complex situation and it has got a lot of depth to it for sure. And it's a little bit to me, a cross between this book and Wuthering Heights. Like there's some drama. <laughs> there's some drama in that book. So if you wanted some more drama, uh, you might like that one a little better. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I guess I just wanted to say that, like, I don't want anyone, like, if you have not read a classic since college and you read this and you were like, eh, maybe I don't like classics. Don't let this yeah, turn don't you off the classics. It. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good, but it's not great. Mm-hmm. What do y'all think? Would you agree with that assessment? I would. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of books, even from this era time period that, that's not my favorite time period anyway, but that I would say were better. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't love reading it. I was saying I enjoyed the conversation after, but like, I didn't love reading this. And that's not always the case for me. I, I, I think overall I liked it and I'm glad I read it and I thought it was lovely. It wasn't like always my favorite thing while I was reading it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, this is a good example of a kind of book that I'm so glad we read together. Because now that we've talked about it, I appreciate it much more. Differently. And I'm sure that I'll appreciate it even more after getting to read y'all's thoughts on the Facebook page. So I love having a community where the understanding and appreciation can deepen from having conversation about it. So listeners, what are your overall thoughts? What'd you think of it? How would you compare it to Jane Eyre? We talked about the role of governess and the historical and autobiographical aspects of it. What did you think about the writing? And we also talked about the overall message of it, the morality, those in authority, what they do with it, how they treat those in their care, specifically parents to children, masters to animals, religious leaders to their flock, and also the perseverance, humility, meekness, etc. of several of the characters. So I can't wait to hear what you guys think about that. Yeah, me too. I'm sure there will be lots and lots of good thoughts. I can't wait to hear. Yeah, you gave them an essay prompt, so it's going to be a lot of things to hear. Choose two of the three things I said in a two-page essay. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us in this discussion of Agnes Gray. And until next time, I'm Trisha. I'm Amanda. I'm Elizabeth. And happy reading. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, subscribe to Book Fair Podcast. Join our Facebook group, find us on Instagram, or email us at chat at bookfairpodcast.com. And don't forget to tell a friend.